Hey, 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 I hope everyone is doing well. This is Arun Sridhar, your host, and I want to wish all of you a very happy Thanksgiving. I know wishing all of you will date this episode, but I'm 100% okay with it. You know why? Because this episode is one that is made to offer thanks. But I'm not going to just offer thanks by just saying it, but by peeling the whale a bit more on our thought process here at Scraps. Jojo and I are huge fans of democratizing information by disseminating what most others will feel cagey about sharing. That's what sets us apart from many others who have a story to sell or a product to manage or an appearance to keep up. We are unlike any others. We have a day job that thankfully keeps us and our families well-nourished, yet we felt that through this podcast Scraps, we wanted to fill in an important void of lack of information that you don't normally get. And this information is of the informal kind, if you've known us and you've heard our podcast. I'm sure many of you can search for endless articles on every topic that we have done a podcast episode on so far and gather information like how many journalists do. And I must say, these journalists who kind of report on these topics do their jobs extremely well. But what lacks in all of their efforts is that personal connection, a connection that makes the person that we talk to at ease. And I must say that we have done that quite well in the three seasons that we have done our podcast, more than any other science podcast that's out there. Check out for yourself, go back into the archives, dive into each one of those and see what I mean. It is no mean achievement that we are ranked in the top 5% of all science podcasts. And people who listen to our podcast also listen to more established podcasts like New Yorker's News Hour, NPR's Fresh Air, Revisionist History, etc. So if you're listening to Scraps, you're in good company. And a huge thanks to you for making it happen. To aid bringing out the stories of sparks of brilliance in people, and their ideas, often written in scraps of paper, that becomes this world-beating idea, we named our podcast Scraps. We absolutely enjoy bringing these stories to you. You know one thing that you can do better? Honestly, this comes back to my day job as an entrepreneur and formerly as an executive, and I truly believe in offering constructive feedback. You don't share our episode or give us a shout on Twitter enough to let other like-minded individuals like yourself know about our work. Seriously, if you like something that you heard or if you thought something was extremely provocative, please give us a shout on social media, will you? And tag us and let us know that you appreciated it. We don't mind whether it's a good comment or a bad comment. We just want to learn from it. And let me tell you something else. Honestly, we do this because we absolutely love bringing these stories to you. And the least that you can do for us is to share your comments. And our Twitter ID is Podcast Scraps. And on LinkedIn, it's Scraps. We have around 500 odd followers and another 360 on Twitter. And I'm sure you guys can do better and give us a shout on the episodes that you love. So I'm repeating it. Don't be shy. And I will also say the magic word to you. Please do this for us. And we have some really, 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 really cool episodes coming up. And it's all in the works. 
I can promise you that the wait will be worth it and it will inform, engage, entertain you all while gathering something that you did not know before listening to each episode. It is our promise to you. Okay, coming to this episode, I want to do what I promised earlier. Peel the veil a bit more on our creative process. You all know that we did a documentary series. For two dedicated novices like myself and Jojo, it was an immense amount of work. Let me give you an example. For every episode, like what we did, for other established podcasts like Gimlet Media or Pushkin or NPR, you have a dedicated team of producers, hosts, editors, sound engineers and publicity agents. For Scraps, there was a total of two full-time people who worked during every spare moment that they had to bring the story to you. We had the immense help of Sharina Rice for the Psychedelics podcast series, who helped us with some early research, and our dear friend Romeo Ratch in the UK who helped us with the website design. But coming back to the content, it has been a very hard grind. Jojo and I researched, dove back into the transcript, picked out the storylines, wrote the scripts, recorded them, but the work didn't just stop there. What you hear in Psychedelics is a full-scale documentary-style production, and it is an audio documentary, one that was created because we did not just want to tell a story of one individual, but of a collective. And when I say collective, it is the story of the field. It all came down to that one conversation Jojo and I had. We even created a cute or a dumb animation, whichever way you see it, to tell all of you the story about the creation of the documentary series. It's on our YouTube channel, Scraps Podcast. Go look for it. Anyways, coming back to the recordings and putting together of the episodes, it was the most rewarding and exhausting creative process of my life. Let me tell you this. Prior to doing this podcast series, like a documentary, I had no clue of what podcast creation meant, except being a religious listener of a few podcasts dating back to when Apple actually introduced podcasts in the first place. But once we decided to do this narrative podcast, I learned everything from sound quality to editing to how we can improve with each episode and our psychedelic series was a culmination of all of that. Let me tell you what I'm trying to get to here. What I want to do in the next 20 minutes or so is to show you what went in our minds to how we decided we could communicate the psychedelic story. How did it actually go from being words on paper to what you hear? It was clear to us from the very beginning that it had to be an immersive audio experience. We wanted to set a tone for each episode. We wanted the sound and the music and the sound design to enhance what the listener was listening to. Each episode was going to tell a different story, a different narrative. So can we walk through the episodes via the lens of the introduction through each episode that we did? And this is part one of our deep dive into our creative process of the Psychedelic series. After all, remember, Scraps is your podcast where we, on your behalf, explore the stories of sparks of brilliance in science and innovation.
let's dive straight in. But before we start, if you haven't already, put your headphones in so you can appreciate the nuances that I'm going to talk about. You ready? You got your headphones in? Are you seated or you're about to walk the dog? If you're driving, keep your eyes on the road, but ears to us. Get ready. It's super exciting for us to share it with you. Let's start with the trailer. There is a secret that we are about to reveal to you now. What we wanted to do, and to be honest, a lot of people will record the episodes ahead of time and then pick aspects to highlight in the trailer. We did not work like that. Both Jojo and I were doing this in absolute alignment that we were going to set the tone for the show with the trailer even before we recorded the episodes and then work on the episodes one at a time. Through every episode, we will be reacting to the feedback we thought and test our audience in real time based on how well it was received and what people were loving or what they were hating. So the trailer was intended to start with a bang. You can go and hear it again on our podcast channel once you hear me out here. We won't play the trailer here, but wanted to share our thinking behind this. It was meant to shake up someone who has been listening to us and expected a normal interview style podcast. It was also meant to shake up the people who knew the area well, but did not really appreciate the nuances. So we decided to cater to both the audiences. We could have really settled for a more calmer tone, to be honest. But we decided that this was really not the time. So it was one that introduced our signature soundtrack for the series. And it only took me all of two months during the research that we did to find this track. And once we found it, it was an absolute gem. More on the aspects of soundtrack in a bit. We sourced it, we paid the license fees out of pocket because we did not have a donor at this point of time. We did it because we believed that the final product needed it. I recorded the trailer a few times and after all, it was my first attempt at a scripted recording and once I was able to enact the tone, it was time to fit the soundtrack to it. The soundtrack was, and if you've heard the trailer, deliberately run separate to the narration rather than what many sound designers will say or ask you not to do. It was an experiment for us, right? Because it was supposed to interact with the people who were not going to think actively of the sound. My sound engineer in India worked as magic and I must say that he was the unsung hero. Mr. Swaminathan Turingyana Samandam had never done podcasts before. In fact, he is a sound engineer for many musicians and movies in India. I chose him because I wanted someone to learn with me rather than imposing their ideas. I wanted that creative tension and that's why choosing the right team was important. And once we created the trailer, I sat there as Jojo listened to the final product for the first time and I played it to my wife and a couple of close friends. The rest, as they say, was history. They knew it was different and I was informed that it arouses a sense of curiosity. I thought to myself, isn't that the point of a trailer? Well, what do you think? Let me know. No, seriously, give me your feedback. 
it's never too late to learn. Now, it was time for the first episode. With every introduction, we wanted to transport the listener to that mindset, where they could lock themselves up in their imagination with our narration, and more importantly, the soundtrack and sound design. This was the guiding principle through and through, and the introduction to every episode revealed the plot, but the listener would not be able to decipher it until they listened to the whole episode. That was our deliberate intention. So, let's talk about episode 1 of the series. Remember in the trailer we set the tone with the first phrase 18 June 1971. So we had to go there in the first episode, but instead of saying it again, our script started with Nixon's speech. While many would have had an eerie music, I started with an ominous clock ticking to signal the urgency. The screeches in the soundtrack and the booms were meant to signal a fight, a war, and war on drugs it was. Then the narration comes in with me saying 18 June 1971. And the sense that we wanted to build was one of eerie anticipation. Something bad has happened. Someone like Nixon said it was bad, but why was it bad? Was Nixon right? Was the world right? But why? We wanted to grab the audience in that feeling and the questions that we just highlighted, and that led to the use of the soundtrack we picked. It gave us the flexibility to choose multiple strings in pizzicato or a groovy format. I personally am a huge fan of Ennio Morricone and Hans Zimmer. I wanted that repeat motives to come, and as an absolutely unskilled music aficionado, all I could do was use the principles I had gathered from listening to the work, and I did. The pizzicato, which goes bum 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 bum, became the underlying motif, and the large string orchestra and the piano motifs comes in later. The brass comes in right at the very end to give that punch after all the wordy narration is finished to emphasize the enthralling story of an improbable drug class banished into history and comes back soaring like a phoenix from the ashes. It was a deliberate act on our side to take people through the intonations to give the idea that it was up and down, up again and down because we felt using the word renaissance as most people do in the psychedelic area was just too bland after all the narration ended the loud brass sound was inspired by the inception soundtrack from hans zimmer and finishes it off with a tension building intro music into episode 1 and the best part of it all it's the wonderful jojo coming in with her war on drugs The cutest and the wonderful part of it all was it was all done in a single take with one practice run of the first 3 pages of the script. I just added a little bit of reverb on Jojo's voice when she, when she says war on drugs and worked out some sound design magic to make her sound absolutely flatteningly ominous. 
With that in mind, let's take a listen to episode one introduction. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to summarize for you the meeting that I have just had with the bipartisan leaders, which began at eight o'clock and was completed two hours later. I began the meeting by making this statement, which I think needs to be made to the nation. America's public enemy number one in the United States is drug abuse. In order to fight and defeat this enemy, it is necessary to wage a new all-out offensive. I have asked the Congress to provide the legislative authority and the funds to fuel this kind of an offensive. 18 June. 1971. Spurred on by decades-old prohibition laws, the 1960s counterculture, anti-war protests, and self-induced paranoia, U.S. President Richard Nixon declared that drugs were public enemy number one. At this point, the anti-drug policy looks completely rational. The world had come together to fight a common enemy, but this one did not have World War II or Cold War issues or undertones. It was a battle not against a government or a set of ideals. It was a battle against chemicals. The social and the cultural happenings after the Second World War led to a certain class of mind-manifesting molecules being lumped in with other drugs like heroin and cocaine. Nixon, in fact, went on to create the Drug Enforcement Agency to ensure that these substances were controlled. The stories that you hear about psychedelics are always portrayed to have begun here, but there is more to the story. This is Psychedelics, a Scraps original podcast exploring the therapeutic use of psychedelics, an enthralling story of an improbable drug class as old as humankind itself, banished into exile, yet comes back soaring like a phoenix from the ashes to save mankind's affliction with mental health disorders. War on drugs. Drugs are public enemy number one, said Richard Nixon. He wasn't alone. He had the full support of the bipartisan congressional committee. In fact, he had the support... The entire episode had some amazing sound design to enhance the listener's perception of content. Let's move to episode 2. One of the real-time feedback that we got after putting out episode 1 was from an acquaintance in Germany. He said, it was going so well, I was listening to the entire episode. And then you just provided a hook. And it ended. And I had no idea why the episode ended, because I wanted to keep listening. And I was really curious when it ended, because it made me ready, primed for episode 2. And for the tone of episode 2, for those who have listened to it, was one of melancholy to highlight some crucial stories in our collective human history, especially America's history. Once again, while it might appear to be reflective of a baseline tone while Jojo is narrating, it was purely to set up the listener for what's to come. We did that via an underscore that we had licensed, which had some lovely melancholic notes and some deep, slow, percussive notes to enhance the feeling of what's to come in the episode. We did this to prepare the listener for what was going to be the story of America and how a psychedelic molecule 
shaped our world's view from colonial and colonizers' eyes before going into a Western versus indigenous clash of ideologies. But it was also the episode where we were going to highlight the journey of this cactus plant that made its way through history to modern science. And we decided to tell the story of the discovery of its constituents through a scientist who had made some remarkable impact in forensic medicine and toxicology. Yet very few people know of him. So the sound design had to prepare the listener for this ups and downs that was going to come in the episode. And Jojo was just fabulous once again with our description. One additional thing that you will notice, and I want you to notice, by the way, is the way in which both Jojo and I will modify the final line of introduction in each episode. This is the line that says, It's an enthralling story of an improbable drug class, banished into exile, yet comes back soaring like a phoenix from the ashes to save mankind's affliction with mental health disorder. While the first episode had a more anticipatory, ominous note by me in the narration, this episode had a more deliberate, flatter, in-your-face description that was just telling things as a matter of fact because it already touts that psychedelics will shake up the world of neuropsychiatry and mental health. Because it did in the indigenous cultures at the time, but we as a society are currently just rediscovering it. So the sound design reflected this for this episode. With that in mind, let's take a listen to episode 2 introduction, and I hope you like it. In the last episode, we had a glimpse of how the discovery of certain modern medicines evolved in today's Western society. We also ruminated on the Western world's fascination with recreational substances like nitrous oxide, which started off as a medical experiment, became a tool for pleasure at the hands of Humphrey Davies and his laughing parties, before it ultimately became an anesthetic. But nitrous oxide became an anesthetic agent only after a tumultuous period that involved the suicide of the very physician who proposed it. The journey of nitrous oxide teaches us that even if a substance has a medical use, it is possible for it to be condemned within the medical and regulatory frameworks. We then traveled to the Peruvian Andes where we discovered that Native American population used indigenous plants like the granddaddy San Pedro cactus and its dwarf cousin, the peyote cactus, in communal religious ceremonies. The ceremony served a spiritual purpose, to heal the mind of the native people. The use of cacti dates back to the period even before Christ. However, Spanish conquistadors denounced the use of peyote and the San Pedro cactus in an effort to exert control over the villagers they sought to rule. Religion and perception clashed. While the Christian missionaries spoke about God, the natives used these indigenous plants in order to speak directly with God. Intolerance, fueled by deep-rooted misconceptions and fear, laid the groundwork for subjugation and even, to a large extent, driving these customs underground. Was that all? Centuries summarized in a few sentences? How did the white man know that the peyote cactus could actually be synthesized into a crystalline substance that could open the doors of perception? And that such a mind-opening experience would change modern culture through the voice of an English writer who ingested it. All I can say is that history, just like life, goes round in circles. What goes up must come down. This is Psychedelics, a Scraps original podcast exploring the therapeutic potential 
of the plant-based substances that is sure to shake up the world of neuropsychiatry and mental health. So, peyote reached the United States from Mexico. You can almost track the route that peyote took. If you look- Go back and listen to the entire episode, especially for what we believe was for some fantastic sound design. Episode 3. Hmm. This one was a very curious one. At the end of episode 3, we had introduced the molecule that was going to douse the peyote cactus and the compound mescaline. We called it the tiger to douse the pussycat. That's what we referred LSD as, the tiger. We did not mention LSD in episode 2 at all. You will know why we refer to LSD as a tiger because this comes back again in the introduction to episode 4. But coming back to this particular episode which is episode 3, it was something that we wanted to start with a story of a real event that is just so goddamn unappreciated in my opinion. how pervasive the use of unethical clinical testing was at this time such that even the army was testing the drug on its soldiers without informing them and many of the soldiers who were subjects in these studies weren't even prepared for what hit them it might sound crazy but it had no unhappy endings at least in this particular incidents that we narrate to so it sets up the episode for what's to follow which was some really crazy stuff that was about to play out in the world between 1940s and 1971 those 30 years still shapes the world and our world view to this day so the sound design in my opinion had to reflect that so what starts out as a drone that transports the listener to sunny cyprus and then moves to some synth based tones to reflect the sunny beaches of cyprus but also in another way when you look at it reflects the craziness that is about to follow the combination of the synth tones and the drone gives that eerie feeling this sound design was inspired by hans zimmer's soundtrack for dunkirk where the synth motifs come in so heavily to reflect the craziness that is just about to happen so pay deep attention to that as you listen to it and as we outline that the experiments that were done at this time was outrageous and when we do that the pizzicato in the strings comes in to set it up and build the excitement and the anticipation before the full blown synth tone on the brass note which was inspired by inception as i said before comes in and takes over i must also state that this episode has some very interesting information at how science and scientists misinform the general audience on their moments of innovation most discoveries are not eureka moments that is fantasized by the world like newton's observation of an apple dropping from a tree or archimedes experience of him jumping into a bathtub etc it's always through careful observation and repeat experimentation but albert hoffman who is so famous in the psychedelic circles fudged it fudged the description and we uncovered that and the sound design had a huge part 
in bringing the story out. Take a listen to the introduction and then let us know what you thought of the episode by our webpage, Twitter or LinkedIn. Sunny Cyprus and the year is 1955. It was around the same time as we saw in the last episode where Aldous Huxley took a dose of crystalline mescaline. So following on from Hefter's self-experimentation in 1897, mescaline had entered society. Mescaline through the studies of German psychologist Beringer had been shown to be producing psychosis. But in the late 1940s and early 1950s, the world was going through a tumultuous political change after the Second World War. Colonialism was gradually winding down. Let's take one example. Ethniki Organosis Kyprion Agonistan or IOKA, a Greek Cypriot nationalistic organization, was engaged in armed conflict with the British army as part of their fight for independence. The Suez Canal built by the British in the previous century was going to be engulfed in a crisis potentially impacting goods transit. During the Suez Canal crisis, the British seemed to be losing steam and giving up colonies. There was also an interesting experiment that went on in an army barrack in Cyprus that was televised by British pathé films at this time. An interesting subplot followed. Military commanders devised a training exercise that by today's standards would be considered outrageous, immoral and entirely unbelievable. It was labeled as a training exercise but was in fact one of the first scaled experiments using psychedelics on military personnel. Up to this point, mescaline was the OG, the original gangster. But all of this was about to change. This is Psychedelics, a scrap's original podcast exploring the therapeutic potential of psychedelics. An enthralling story of an improbable drug class banished into exile yet comes back soaring like a phoenix from the ashes to save mankind's affliction with mental health disorders Episode 4. Oh, LSD, my problem child. This is one of the best episodes of the series that in my mind competes with episode 7 for how wonderfully every single piece of the puzzle came together. We finished episode 3 with a hook. We knew that with the ending of episode 3 that was released the previous week that we had set the scene but had not spoken of anything sinister that would cause a ban on psychedelics we spoke of all the crazy things that had happened but never about a ban we spoke in episode 3 of how lsd entered modern society via its connection to an fbi informer and a self-proclaimed social elite and aldous huxley the guy who romanticized it for all white people in the western world but episode 4 had to reflect the tone of how things moved from this and the crazy happenings to the 1971 ban it had to tell the story of something extremely sinister that took place and yet no one spoke of it at the time it was all shrouded in mystery and we now know after some declassification 
that it was a very deep and dark place. So our introduction to this episode had to reflect that. We embellished it with going back to the reference of the tiger and comparing that to LSD. We compared LSD to a tiger and how the view of the tiger is different from which camp you're on, an admirer or the scared one. But the real beauty in highlighting the two-faced nature of the LSD experimentation that was pervasive at the time by both admirers and the scared establishment people was how we tied it to the two-faced Greek god Janus and towards the end Jojo wonderfully ties it to the Churchill quote it's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma so take a listen and pay deep attention to how Jojo says where were we at the beginning of the episode we did that because we thought that we needed to bring the audience in right at the start of the episode and bring their attention to the spoken words even if the listener was doing something else there was a deliberate effort to put in more reverb in jojo's voice in this episode's introduction to provide that haunting tone to the listener and in terms of sound design the circling tones that you hear form the perfect backdrop with some wonderfully percussive rhythms with a symbol at jojo's mention of the word the two-faced god janus every single tone in this episode had a purpose i honestly think that the circling rhythms which increase in volume reach a crescendo and then drops back in pace again was just wonderful and when the rhythms just drop down the synthesizers make its appearance when we say we're not here to ask questions but are merely seeding the thoughts in your head then the pizzicato of the strings takes over to build the anticipation with the deep sense that is still running all the way from the very beginning of the introduction and jojo's wonderful narration blends into the intro music and i also want to point one more thing go back and notice how different jojo's final line of this introduction in episode 4 is more glowy than it was in episode 2 in episode 2 it had to be flatter because it had to give in to the melancholy of the episode of what we were setting it up here in episode 4 we were setting it up for some dark stuff yet telling people that this class of molecules has potential so jojo's tone had that sense of highlighting that paradox let's listen to episode 4 introduction to appreciate all the nuances that we just outlined. Now where were we? In the last episode we recounted how LSD entered society. Albert Hoffman synthesized it in 1939 and once he did, he shelved it because it did not provide the efficacy for pain that he was looking for. 4 years later, call it intuition or an educated guess or serendipity, he felt that he needed to research the shelved compound LSD 25. At this time, he accidentally ingested it. The Technicolor bicycle trip, revered by many, was the starting point. LSD became the tiger. Depending on who you asked at the time, it was the most regal animal, one that would tame the mind, provide self-introspection, and mystical experiences. Or, if you asked the other camp, 
It was a tiger waiting to pounce on its prey, only to devour it piece by piece. So LSD was a hero and a villain at the same time. The perfect god, Janus. Let's take the regal view of this tiger first. Hoffman came back from his trip with a renewed love for and connection with the beauty around him. And he wasn't alone. Sandoz had no clue what was happening and how this compound should be employed. It was the days of the wild, wild west. Molecules went from discovery to clinical studies in just two years. But in LSD's case, it went from the vial straight to the mouth. Sandoz shipped these drugs to anyone with even a whisper of an idea wanting to test it in a clinical setting. It quickly entered widespread psychiatric use even before it was known what LSD would be used for. Osman and some of his contemporaries used it in an attempt to treat alcoholism. But at the same time, the same way that mescaline was willingly provided to Huxley, they freely distributed LSD for clinical experimental use. We can argue about whether Osman and his colleagues were right or wrong or acted responsibly or irresponsibly. We could ask if a drug, just because it provided an experience different from the existing psychiatric practices of the time, should be given out like candy. But I think we'll steer clear of passing judgment. Just like a good gardener, our job is to seed these questions in your head. Now let's go to the Johnny Appleseed of LSD, Al Hubbard. Hubbard entered the fray and used his charismatic muscle to introduce LSD into California. So the stage was set for an enthralling drama, one where opinions, ideologies, and personalities, an ego or lack thereof, depending on who you ask, would clash and set off a ticking time bomb. What were those happenings? What is the common thread that ties the Nazi chief scientist, Kurt Blome, a janitor in a psychiatric office who became the best-selling writer and social celebrity, the psychedelic rock band, Mary Pranksters, a Harvard professor, and the CIA. The simple answer? It's a riddle wrapped in a mystery inside an enigma. Just like what Osmond said, to fathom hell or soar angelic, take a pinch of psychedelic. A pinch of psychedelic was enough to make the world go round in circles, like a snake biting its own tail. Should we dig in? This is Psychedelics a Scraps original podcast exploring the therapeutic potential of psychedelics. An enthralling story of an improbable drug class, banished into exile, yet comes back soaring like a phoenix from the ashes to save mankind's affliction with mental health disorders. And I hope you like that. We will cover the remaining episodes in part two of our sound design, Idiot's Guide to Enhancing the Storytelling of Psychedelics podcast series. Until then, this is Arun Sridhar signing off. And remember to visit our website, scrapspodcast.com and sign up to our newsletter. Thank you.